Thanks for tuning in to our Neighborhood Church podcast. Join us on Sunday at any of our locations. To learn more about our church, visit neighborhoodchurch.com or download our church app. Oh man, that looks awesome. Thank you, Pastor Lorena, for inviting us to VBS. Man, that is going to be so cool for you kids and you parents. Everyone, tune in. It's going to be awesome. Uh, I'm Pastor Kerry. I'm Pastor of Connection and Discipleship here at Neighborhood Church of Cyprus, and it's awesome to be here with you on screen. Uh, shout out to my boy uh, who should be watching this outside right now, my wife, uh, my sister-in-law, Lily, and her friend, Lauren. Hey, guys. Glad you're here. <laughs> um, let's open in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that we can gather together in this way, um, either here through our watch parties or here online. God, we pray and we thank you um, for this opportunity. And we thank you for your word too. Lord, in this time where it's, it's hard to know sometimes what's true, it's hard to know where to go, where to turn, who to trust, what to read, what to resource. God, we know that your word is true. And we can trust it, that it's been proven through centuries and it proves accurate to what really happens in the world. And so God, we pray as we dive into your word this morning that you would illuminate it by your spirit, that your spirit would have it uh, speak truth to our lives and that we would have the courage to apply those truths as well. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, I'm so glad that we're here. Uh, I want to just uh, mention <laughs> with all of our streaming and everything we've been doing, who's been streaming stuff online? You've been watching a lot of stuff recently? Uh, just this last week, uh, my family and I, we watched Hamilton. And if you haven't heard of it, it's the Broadway musical that has a bunch of rapping in it. Uh, rise up your hand if anyone's watched that recently. Yeah? Anybody? Yeah, man, so clever. I'd only listened to it before, but I actually got to watch it now, and it was a whole different experience. Now, instead of feeling like, what did I miss? I can now say I was in the room where it happened, or at least feel that way. Um, One line in the musical, though, struck me. Uh, Founding father Alexander Hamilton, he reflects back on how he climbed out of poverty and, and hardship, and he sings, when my prayers to God were met with indifference, I picked up my pen, I wrote my own deliverance. I was on the phone with a church member. I was chatting with him uh, just last week, and he said, oh, man, your wife, she lost her job. Oh, that's, that's tough. Ooh, and you need a big procedure coming up soon, a big surgery. Oh, and you're really disappointed with the decisions that your kids are making. Yeah, I feel you. Man, that's tough. And, he, and I said, hey, can I pray for you now over the phone? And he said, sure, yes, please, since God doesn't listen to my prayers. And he laughed because he was telling a joke, but I wonder if there was a little bit of truth inside that as well. Have you felt that way? Do you feel like God doesn't hear your prayers? Or even when he does hear your prayers, he doesn't care? If Jesus loves us, why doesn't he answer our prayers to rescue us out of the difficulty, the destruction, the devastation we're facing? Folks in the first century wrestled with these same questions. And so we're going to dive into God's word to explore what do we do with these questions. We're going to read about them in the Gospel of John. Now, the Gospel of John, just for a way of background, it was written by the Apostle John who traveled around Jesus. So he's an eyewitness seeing these events take place. And he wrote this to demonstrate that Jesus really did teach, he really did live, act, fulfill all the promises that were made about the Messiah that would come. He really was the Son of God that had been sent into the world, incarnated into human flesh. 
So that was John's purpose in writing. And if you want to know more about the Gospel of John, see an awesome chart that breaks it all down, go ahead and check out our study guide, our weekly study guide. If you're watching at live.neighborhoodchurch.com, you can go look up above and there's a button to click on for study guide. Or you just go to our website, neighborhoodchurch.com and click on the revive section button. Uh, There's a whole bunch of resources there every week, fresh for you to help refresh your soul and help you grow. So back to the Gospel of John though. Um, we're looking at how John, he really wanted to write his gospel to help show who Jesus was, but it wasn't just to win an argument about who to prove who Jesus was. It was that, but it was also, he said, you need to know about Jesus, but you need to know Jesus. And that Jesus has offered true, eternal, abundant life to each one of us. John 20, verse 31. So let's check out where those themes lead us. We're going to be looking at John chapter 11. So if you can flip there, John chapter 11, verse 1. This is where we're headed today. And if you don't have a Bible, (laughs) the beauty of actually watching this from home is that you can just pause the video or go run and go grab a Bible off your shelf. So go ahead and do that. Get a Bible. uh, Open it up to John 11, verse 1. I'm reading out of the ESV English Standard Version. I'd love for you to follow along with us. We start here in John 11, verse 1. Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, from the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his, hair with her, wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So John gives us a little background who these people are. Uh, that story, actually, of Mary wiping his, hair, his feet with her hair was actually in John 12. So if you want to check that out, you can do that later. What is, where is this news hitting Jesus? He's actually far away from where his friends are. He's up in Batanea Bashan. It's in the northern part of Israel. You'll see a map there on the screen. So Jesus is way up there hanging out with his disciples. Boom. And then this news hits. So how does he respond? He responds in verse three. Oh, they say, Lord, he whom you love is ill. So there's not just this idea that, um, hey, this guy is ill. He whom you love. This is actually Jesus's friend. He knows Lazarus. He cares about Lazarus. So this news is personal. And you can see they're making a statement here, but it's really an implicit request, right? They're saying, hey, just to let you know, Lazarus is ill. Can you come help? But when Jesus heard it, verse four, he says, this illness does not lead to death. It's for the glory of God so that the son of God may be glorified through it. And you can look up John 9, 3 for that idea too. He's saying, hey, this is going to be a way that the Son of God is going to be revealed for who he truly is. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, verse 6, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. He didn't seem to be in a rush. Have, this, have you ever experienced something like this where, you know, you're checking things out. You're like, oh man, you know, oh, you know, looks like uh, something unfortunate happened to my friend. Ah, but don't need to panic. You know, it's unfortunate, but you know, he can handle it. It'll be okay. NBD. Okay. So that's kind of what they were feeling like, but then things take a turn for the worse. Jesus stands up in verse seven and then he says, let's go to Judea again. And the disciples are starting to freak out. They're saying, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. Are you going there again? (laughs) they're saying, hey, Rabbi, we were just in Judea and there was a mob in Jerusalem that was trying to kill you. Uh, That's in John chapter 10, verse 31. And then the leaders of Jerusalem, they tried to arrest you. John chapter 10, verse 39. Visiting Lazarus, Jesus puts you at risk. It's gonna be dangerous. 
Jesus responds in verse nine. And then he says, by way of summary, he's saying, hey, there's still work and ministry to be done. Let's go do it. It's time. Let's go. So Jesus' disciples look at each other and like, gulp. Okay, here we go. Have you ever felt like that? Where news suddenly turns a lot worse, you know? Do you remember when you were first hearing about this virus, about this pandemic? Oh man, that's really unfortunate over there on the other you know, side of the world or whatever. But you know, what, oh gosh, it's going global. Oh gosh, news alert, it's here in, in our country. Oh man, my office just shut down. My friend's sick, what is going on? This is how the disciples would have felt. Oh gosh, their calm suddenly turned into fear. But then things get even more grave. Verse 11, after saying these things, Jesus said to him, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. And the disciples are like, oh, okay, Lord, I mean, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover. No big deal. But Jesus, John records here as the narrator, John clarifies, Jesus had spoken of Lazarus's death. They thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. So Jesus tells the disciples plainly, Lazarus has died. What? Just a bit ago, We thought Lazarus was just ill. And you said this isn't going to lead to death, Jesus. Back earlier, Lazarus died? We all know him. He's our friend. This is terrible. Then Jesus goes on in verse 15. He says, for your sake, I'm glad I was not there that you may believe. But let us go to him. What is going on here? Look who responds. Thomas in verse 16. Thomas says, let us go that we may believe die with him. Isn't it interesting, the disciple who would be labeled a doubter for the rest of history is here saying, you know what? It might mean death if we go back to Judea, but I'm going to follow my rabbi. I'm going to follow my leader. He was confused. He was scared, but he was willing to follow Jesus. Already we see a pretty cool paradigm there. But man, look at where they're headed. This is not going to be a picnic. Have you ever felt like this too, where you're heading into something and you're like, oh, this is not going to be easy. This is not going to be fun. I was talking with one of our greeters um, just a while back and she lost her job when the quarantine hit. I was talking with another one of our Sunday setup crew guys and he had school and work both shut down on him at the same time. And we look at situations like this and we think, man, there's a whole bunch of people struggling with things shutting down on them with a whole bunch of financial stress. What a hit to the gut. And what a hit to the gut to all of Lazarus's friends who cared about him. And suddenly Jesus is like, he's dead. Well, if you thought that was bad, just wait. John records three different people in the next section who confirm the tragic truth that has taken place. So verse 17, John records, first, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was in Jerusalem about two miles off. Verse 19, many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Okay. So man, look at the tension here. First, Lazarus has been dead four days. He's gone. He really is gone. Two, look at uh, they're right next to Jerusalem, Bethany is. Only two miles off. It's just a day's, it's a walk away. 
So this, there's real danger here represented that Jesus has taken a huge risk to come here. And then three, all the folks, a bunch of Jewish folks from Jerusalem have come to Bethany to help Mary and Martha grieve. It's a bona fide fact that Lazarus must be gone. So this is just so sad. Next we see the second person that comes in and it's one of the sisters herself. Verse 20, Martha. Martha's the assertive type A one we see from Luke 10, 38 through 42. So she goes right straight to Jesus and she says in verse 21, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She still trusts that Jesus has the ability to heal people. She knew that if Jesus had been there, he could have healed her brother, but he hadn't. And so she's grieving. So Jesus responds. He says in verse 23, your brother will rise again. Huh? What does that mean? Martha takes that to mean, she says in verse 24, I know, I know, Lord, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. It's like Martha's saying, I know, I know, I'll see Lazarus again in heaven someday. But until then, I'm really, really gonna miss my brother. And then Jesus takes this opportunity to move into a timeless truth that would truly bring Martha hope. He shares this with her because she had mentioned how the resurrection on the last day, she'll believe in that. So he's like, oh, you know what? Actually, I am the resurrection and the life. This, oh, this is what John, our narrator, has been building this whole story towards so far. This is the truth that he's hoping we'll get. This is what all of this has been boiling up to. And so he says, I am the resurrection and the life. This I am comes from our series here. Uh, it's actually God's name. When Moses is in the, looking at the burning bush and he says, Lord, who should I tell the, are my people and the Egyptians who is sending me? Who are you? What is your name, God, the creator of the universe? universe there in Exodus 3:14 says I am that I am that is my name and it's it, it's where we get Yahweh from so Jesus is actually taking the divine name of God himself and applying it to himself here in John 11 verse 25 he says I am the resurrection and the life what does he mean by resurrection? Well, Martha had mentioned the resurrection that comes at the end. So, and Jesus has actually said all throughout John that he would be somehow involved in that resurrection. So we see that he would be the agent that would help rise the dead back to life at the end of all things in the heavenly afterlife. And you'll see some uh, verses on the screen there that show that he has already been talking about this. But here in John eleven twenty five, Jesus goes further. Jesus says he's not only the person doing the resurrection, he is the means by which they will be resurrected. So in the rest of verse 25, he talks about this. It says, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. So every human being is going to physically die at some point. And yet Jesus is saying, no, even though that happens, even though that's true, I will help you rise again, rise up at the end. I am the resurrection. It's me. So when he's saying I am the resurrection, he's saying I am the pioneer that's going forward to make, that for, to make it all possible. I am the means of the resurrection. I am the initiator. I am the guide. Jesus is it. Then he says, after seven times, 
seven, oh, seven times death has been mentioned or come up in this chapter so far. Now Jesus says, I am the life. And Jesus actually uses a Greek double negative here to drive his point home that death cannot, it will never separate us from the love of God that is in that is ours in Christ, that Jesus is the life and we will never have to worry about death separating us from him and the eternal life that he has prepared for us. That is such a great truth. That is such hope to know. And so Jesus has shared all of this with Martha. Boom, this huge, all these eternal truths. And then he feels like, okay, let me just check up, Martha. Did you get that? Uh, Do you believe that? Do you have any questions? (laughs) And then Martha in verse uh, 20, verse 27, she says, yes, Lord, I believe. I believe you are the Christ. I believe that you are that promised Messiah, anointed one ruler who all of Judaism has been waiting for to finally come and make things right. She says, I believe you're the son of God. I believe you are divine, that you are sent by God the Father and sent who's coming into this world who has been incarnated into human flesh and is standing right in front of me right now and yet is still God. Martha says, yes, I believe that. But now we're going to see if Martha's beliefs are carried out in real time. Because now we see our third person rush in with the terrible truth about Lazarus. It's Mary, Martha's sister. And we're going to see as Mary runs crashing back in that reality comes hitting them back full in the face. So I've asked uh, Sarah, one of our church members, to read this next passage aloud. So take it away, Sarah. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you. Did you guys notice as Sarah read that out loud that Mary's statement is the exact same statement that Martha made earlier? Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. It's like Mary is saying the same thing. Why didn't you come, Jesus? Or, or at least heal my brother from a distance like you've done other people or, or anything They are so devastated to see their brother dead. Have you ever felt this way? Like Mary and Martha grieving. You know, a number of folks who are members of our church have watched loved ones pass away during this quarantine. Only sometimes they haven't literally watched because they weren't allowed to be in the hospital with them. Or they weren't allowed to hold in-person funerals or memorial services afterwards. It's so sad. I just got off the phone with another one of our leaders who just found out she has cancer. I wonder sometimes if we look at Jesus like Mary and Martha and we say, did you hear my prayers? 
do you care? You see, if Jesus loves us, why doesn't he answer our prayers to rescue us from these disasters? And then Jesus takes one step further, deeper into the grief. He goes to Lazarus's tomb. John records for us in verse 38, it was a cave and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man said to him, Lord, by this time there's gonna be an odor. He's been dead for four days. It's like she's saying, teacher, rabbi, I know that you wanna see him, but it's been four days in our Jewish culture. Sometimes we believe that, you know, if someone's been quiet for three days, that maybe they could revive. It's been four. There's nothing we can do. He's gone, he's gone. And then Mary says, wait. Jesus comes to them and he says, Martha, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God, i.e. the son of man, the son of God revealed for who he truly is? So for good or for ill, the tomb is opened up. And then John records how we get to see God the son talk with God the father. Jesus prays. He says, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. He's saying this prayer on behalf of all those listening. It says, sounds like he's actually already been talking with God previous to this uh, instance. He's actually already made a prayer request to God the Father from God the Son on behalf of his friend Lazarus. So now it's time to see that prayer request come true. Jesus goes to the tomb and it says in verse 43, when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. In verse 44, the man who had died came out. He rose up and just like that, Jesus raised a man from the dead. Not for the future heaven and the afterlife. Right here, right now, raised from the dead. And look at what, how Jesus does this. There's no incantations that he has to say or recite. He doesn't have to pay someone or appease some kind of powers. Jesus is the power, the raw, divine, unparalleled power that death can't even stand up against. That is so cool. He can reverse death. So Mary and Martha, just imagine this scene. They run forward. They hug Lazarus and they're like, I can't believe that you're back again. Look around how lucky you are to be alive right now. Then they cry again and then they laugh and then they cry. And, <laughs> and then they all slowly stop and turn and look at Jesus. What just happened? And they look back at Lazarus and they look at Jesus. Lazarus was stone cold dead before this, but Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. And now there was proof. His friend was the proof. His friend Lazarus, who is literally taking the grave clothes off of his living, breathing body, was the proof. And so Jesus was not only the bread of life, like he said in John 6, 35. He's not only the water of life in 7, 38. He's not only the light of life in 8, 12. Jesus is life itself, the resurrection and the life. Even death could not stop this Messiah. 
Wow. It's this realization, this revealing of who Jesus really is that helps us answer two tricky questions that are in this passage. The first one is kind of just a novelty. You see in back in the section that Sarah read for us, did you notice the, the shortest verse in the Bible? Anyone shout it out? What was it? Jesus wept. Yeah. John 11, verse 35. But wait a minute. Back in John 11, 11, he says, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. Jesus already knew that he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. So why is he crying? He wouldn't need to cry if he already knew that this wasn't going to end in death. What is he crying for? Well, Jesus wept as he saw humanity hurting. As he was there at the grave and saw all of his friends and everyone related to Lazarus, as he saw them in such pain and agony, he saw the devastation that death was having on them. He saw his followers who were racked with fear and he saw the effects that sin had on all the people and it grieved him. The, the way that it's translated, it makes him sad and angry. He's angered and he's grieved when he sees how sin has been destroying people's lives, how it has broken us inside. And Jesus, he is going to do something about it. He is going to make things right. Amen to that. Number two, our next tricky question. Jesus wanted to reveal who he truly was. And so that brings up another question that even though he had the power over death, wait a minute, was he just callously ignoring the pain that Mary and Martha and Lazarus had to go through? I mean, couldn't he have just healed them? Why did he let them sit in that pain? And even less, or even more, was Jesus manipulating their pain and just pulling levers so he could reveal his divine identity how he wanted to? No, <laughs> no, he wasn't. Actually, it's Jesus's love for Mary, Martha, and Lazarus that motivated him to do it this way. It's his love for them that motivated him to go through this bigger plan with this larger perspective in mind. And look at what happened at the end of this heartbreaking week. They all emerged with more strength, with more joy, with more hope and belief and a more abundant life than they had had before. And so Jesus was right. He knew what he was doing. That is why he went through with this. And so therefore, having seen all that, we learn this, that our prayers aren't always answered how we prefer. But that doesn't prove God's negligent or cruel or that he doesn't exist. God is not Santa Claus. God is not a genie <laughs> granting us wishes. God is a loving father who is wise. He knows exactly what we need when we need it, even when we don't know. And if you want to see more about that, go look at Luke 11, 11 through 13. Great passage there. So do you remember the greeter? The greeter who lost her job when the quarantine hit? God gave her another one just recently. And it's a better one. <laughs> do you remember that Sunday setup crew guy that had his work and college closed up on him? Um, he, uh, we got to talk recently and he was saying how he's really enjoyed how he's been able to spend a lot more family time with his wife and kids than he used to. Um, and it wasn't just a joke. Uh, <laughs> he was genuinely grateful. Man, I've had so much time I've been able to spend with my family. This is great. 
no matter how God answers his, our prayers, the life he offers shows us he cares. So, in John 11, we see a miracle. In John 11, we see Jesus reveal who he truly is. And in John 11, we see him offer hope and offer life to all those around him. And so John records how people responded to him. Verses 45 and 46. First, verse, in verse 45, it says, Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. Okay, so on one hand, it inspired greater belief in some people. Verse 46, but some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. They were snitches. <laughs> they were actually afraid of Jesus' power. Two different responses. Do you remember Hamilton? So Hamilton ended up taking up his pen to save himself, to write his own deliverance, and it ended up blowing up in his face. So as we think about all these different responses to who God is, I've been trying to think about what is my response? Honestly, one of my prayers for the past couple months has been, Lord, please help my car, my little gold Ford Escort to survive until the fall because that's when we could afford and we would really like to buy a new car then. Well, guess what happened? It broke down in like 12 different ways a few weeks ago. <laughs> it's just, just terrible. And I, I know there's plenty of people out there who love to buy and sell cars and love working on cars. Shout out to Wayne Alves in my life group. Um, Jerry Cheney at the Setup Crew. Man, you guys have been great with your advice. Um, but I'm not one of those people. And that's why I've been seeking other people for advice. So <laughs> here I am. It's the summer. I'm riding my bike to church in the summer heat last week. And I'm thinking, God, why couldn't you answer my prayer? And then I realized after thinking about it some more, God did answer my prayer. It just wasn't what I wanted. <laughs> and I've learned as I've lived through life that hindsight will oftentimes help me understand what God was really up to, why he acted in the ways that he did. You see, God is a loving, wise father. He knows what he's doing. Even when we don't have a great understanding of why things are working here and now. So what about you? How do you respond to Jesus saying he's the resurrection and the life? How do you respond to this miracle here in John chapter 11? What are you currently begging God for? What is the answer that you hope God will give to you? And what's going to happen if his answer is a little different than the one you were hoping for? Does that mean he needs to change or he doesn't care or he doesn't exist? No. It means we need to trust that he is the resurrection and the life, that he knows what's best for us. No matter how God answers our prayers, the life he offers shows us he cares. If you would, please join with me as we close in prayer. Father God, we thank you. We thank you that you are the resurrection and the life. We thank you, God, that you, despite our difficulties, despite the hardship that we face, that you are still extending eternal life to us, that that, that will influence both our eternity in heaven and the afterlife, but the eternal life also influences us now. It gives us the abundant eternal life now. And so, God, we pray, we pray, and we ask for patience. We pray and we ask for belief. Help our unbelief. Help us to trust you 
when it seems like things are just not going right, when it seems like things are just being terrible. God, we pray for faith, we pray for belief, and we also pray for courage to trust you and step forward in these things. We thank you that you are a God that loves us, that you loved Lazarus, Mary, and Martha, that you love us too, that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for us, to die so that we might have life. God, we thank you for these things. And we pray this in your name. Amen.